Welcome to the Daily Objective, day 103 of the war in Israel. I am joined today by Benjamin Weinthal. Benjamin is a writing fellow uh, for the Middle East Forum, a U.S. think tank. Welcome, Benjamin, to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, so we're going to talk today about Human Rights Watch, uh, you know, the position they're taking uh, in, in the Middle East, why they're taking that, some uh, some recent reports. Just generally, when we uh, before we get into it, can you tell us what is Human Rights Watch? Um, well, Human Rights Watch is um, arguably the um, one of the top two uh, human rights organizations in the world. Uh, in addition to Amnesty International, which is headquartered in London, um, Human Rights Watch. Uh, its headquarters is in New York City, and it was founded uh, initially by Robert Bernstein, who's the uh, uh, ran Random House, the publishing house, as a bulk work or um, a way to uh, expose the uh, crimes of uh, Soviet communism and the uh, human rights atrocities in a closed uh, totalitarian uh, societies. And um, that was the origin, and it's... Uh, for many of its critics, critics of Human Rights Watch has drifted into being a, a um, incorrigibly reactionary organization that does very little to advance the human rights of people, especially where I live in the Middle East. Yeah, you mentioned Amnesty International. We've uh, we've spoken about them on this channel. Unfortunately, I'm sure we'll talk about them again. They, you know, you would think organizations with with uh, the words human rights in in their uh, name or their mission uh, would do something very different from uh, what these organizations are doing. So, what is uh, what is the position that Human Rights Watch is is taking when it comes to uh, this current uh, war that's going on right now since October 7th and generally the, the conflict or conflicts in the Middle East involving Israel. Right. Well, Human Rights Watch, I should mention, is, um, um, is heavily financed by um, uh, George Soros's uh, philanthropy organization. Um, he donated a number of years ago $100 million to Human Rights Watch. Uh, a large chunk of Human Rights Watch's staff and resources and funding is devoted to, uh, I would argue, and uh, turning Israel into a human punching bag. So for many critics, uh, they view Human Rights Watch's intense uh, preoccupation with Israel as, as something that um, smacks a, a pathological obsession. And the current war that's taking place here against So, Benjamin, we, we lost your video about a minute ago, and we lost the audio uh, just about now. I don't know if you can hear me, if there's anything you can do about that, or if you can uh, maybe rejoin. Um, and, yeah, uh, if, just to, to reiterate what you said, yeah, it is, it is uh, very clearly a position that Human Rights Watch has taken in this conflict. You know, they... they say what they care about is, is human rights. They are specifically interested in the rights of those who who violate uh, the rights of others. It's not just the case in the Middle East, but much like the UN, which we've uh, we've spoken about a lot on this channel, uh, you know, there's 
there's a specific focus about Israel's alleged violations of rights uh, in, in its defensive war and not so much about um, Israel's enemies and how they uh, they specifically target civilians, explicitly state their goal to uh, uh, kill all the Jews. And uh, that is that is what Israel is up against, which, you know, makes you makes you wonder uh, to what extent we can trust what organizations like Human Rights Watch have to say about anything. Uh, Daniel, do we have Benjamin back or? Um... Uh, no. Okay. All right. Then uh, perhaps I will uh, just message him and say that we lost him. But also uh, there are, uh, yeah, there are a few points I can make uh, here. So what we were, what we were getting into um, is the funding um, the funding that Human Rights Watch has been getting specifically from Qatar. Now, I uh, certainly longtime viewers of this channel know that I'm not a fan of the, you know, who funds you argument, uh, the fact that people get funding, you know, by by those who support the cause uh, that they are they are fighting for is uh, is not a bad thing. You know, so it, it's not a bad thing in, in principle. It's, it could be a bad thing if um depending on the cause. But here's an organization that, again, has the words human rights in its name. And uh, the funding they get is from a, a violator of rights, Qatar, in in some of the funding that they get, uh, is, you know, a country that cannot be called in any imaginary way a protector of rights. Qatar is a violator of the rights of its own citizens. Uh, a lot has been said about how Qatar uh, treated people who worked there to build the stadiums for the World Cup, how they got the World Cup in the first place, of course, is not is not exactly a, a clean process. Um, and uh, and the fact that they fund and and house uh, terrorists, including the terrorists, the, the leaders behind October 7th, Hamas leaders. So, um, yeah, the, the fact that uh, Human Rights Watch is sponsored by by such a country and, and uh, is happy to receive their funds raises questions. I think questions, uh, as I mentioned, questions should be raised just by the content of what Human Rights Watch argues for. Um, and, you know, and, and that has been the case before. Uh, when when we have Benjamin back, I'm going to ask him about Kenneth Roth, who was the um, uh, chairman or whatever the title was of Human Rights Watch for the past 30 years or so until he recently um, retired and uh, and there was some controversy around uh, some of what he was going to do later on. Uh, and these organizations often get a free pass. So if you look at media reports about violations of human rights in, uh, in, in Israel or anywhere else, you or alleged violations of human rights, you will hear... Um, you you will hear in the media these reports brought up as as fact you know and we've spoken about in the context of Israel the Palestinian propaganda machine how somebody says something in uh, in the Palestinian territories uh Palestinian controlled territories and then somebody in the west says look there's evidence there's proof uh or or a so-called expert says something an expert from the UN an expert from a human rights uh, organization, and then the media reports it. So 
there's a an important role there for Human Rights Watch and similar organizations um, in in that propaganda machine. Uh, yeah, while while we wait for Benjamin to return, I can also say, and we've said this when we spoke about Metelem, a little bit that I know about how reports that such organizations uh, put together, at least some organizations, some such organizations within Israel, uh, they're not trustworthy, and that's putting it mildly. You know, they they will often have uh, reports that detail the the torture uh, of Palestinians or detail whatever they went through in detention or how unfairly uh, they were detained. And the way they get that information is by asking Palestinians for that information, by asking people, you know, what happened to you? Were you detained? Were you tortured? And, uh, and they, you know, inevitably say what they want the world to think about what Israel is doing, what these organizations exist in order to tell uh, the world that Israel is doing, whether or not Israel is actually doing that, uh, matters a bit less. So, um, yeah, that's that's uh, an issue there. I'll, I'll uh, just say thank you, Jonathan Honig, for the super chat. Thank you, Apollo Zeus, for the super chat. Apollo Zeus asks, is human rights a legitimate concept? I think it's... Uh, I, I would say it's a, a legitimate concept, but the way it's used is very much a, a package deal. We have Benjamin back. Hey, Benjamin. Um, uh, apologies. I'm not sure what happened. This is the first time that my uh, Zoom just stopped. I have no well, idea what happened. Actually, later on, I'm going to ask you about a, a Human Rights Watch report about Meta allegedly censoring people. So maybe uh, I've made that joke before on this channel, but I, I don't think that is the case. But uh, anyway, good to have you back. So, yeah, you were you were saying about um, Human Rights Watch using Israel as a punching bag. Right. Um, so that's been the main critic criticism of, uh, you know, human rights watches watch to speak um that the bulk of their budget and resources and staff is devoted to uh turning israel into uh a punching bag and and there um there's a disproportionate focus on the only democracy in the middle east as opposed to um totalitarian regimes in 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 the middle east um, and if you look at the the number of reports that human rights churns out, the tweets they turn out, their social media footprint, there is, uh, as I think these critics say, this type of um, almost uh, clinical level obsession with with Israel. And this goes back, I don't know if I'm repeating myself, to 2009 with Sarah Leo Winston, Whitson, excuse me, the former director of the Middle East Program for Human Rights Watch, who went on a gig to Saudi Arabia and uh, touted uh, Human Rights Watch's politics against Israel and pro-Israel groups as a way to raise funds. This was reported in the Atlantic Magazine by Je uh, Jeffrey Goldberg and also in the Wall Street Journal. Um, so that I think sort of set the stage for what critics would later say is the um, Human Rights Watch um, sort of flipped its mission and switch to um, immersing itself in uh, bashing democracies as opposed to um, focusing on countries like uh, uh, Syria, 
or uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran. And I think if you look at the resources again, there's very little staff devoted to the Islamic Republic of Iran at Human Rights Watch. And they're the former head of their LGBTQ division, Scott Long, was, I believe, ousted uh, going back 13 years or so because um, he was in many ways playing down the lethal homophobia that existed in Iran and picking fights with the legendary gay activist in Britain, uh, Peter Tatchell, who was trying to stop uh, the executions of gays in Iran while HR Human Rights Watch was uh, focused on uh, trying to uh, delegitimize Peter Tatchell's work and other uh, gay writers in New York from the newspaper Gay City News, where I also write. Uh, there was a writer there named um, Doug Ireland, a very famous writer who was uh, exposing um, Iran's uh, executions of gays. So I would say back in that period of time is when we saw this switch in Human Rights Watch to um, focusing on uh, w what its founder then wrote in the New York Times was um, sort of a, a misguided policy. I think his op-ed in the New York Times going back over 10 years ago, Robert Bernstein, was called Lost in the Middle East. Um, people can read that online, and it's a, it's a very scathing indictment of Human Rights Watch um, getting lost in the Middle East. Now, um, so what what is the recent news specifically with the uh, the issue of funding from Qatar? Well, this is something that I think is is um, again, this is an allegation, but um, a number of um, <clears throat> uh, national security agents. Uh, uh, um, agents from the National Security Agency in the U.S. were hired by a UAE, uh, uh, by the UAE state to hack um, Qatari um, uh, emails, Qatari state emails. And what, what came out of this hack, and it was reported in the um, many publications, and it came to be known as the Raven Project, um, were in one case, an, uh, a letter from a Qatari official authorizing the payment of an additional uh, $3 million uh, human rights watch uh, as a donation. Now, we don't know whether that money was ever transferred. Uh, we simply know the allegation is out there as part of the document that I reported on when the organization Middle East Media Research Institute in Washington translated the document and posted it on its website. The uh, Human Rights Watch uh, spokesperson denied that they accepted money. But again, uh, just if you, uh, going back again, I think five or six years ago, I have to check my reporting in terms of the date. Ken Roth, the then executive director of Human Rights Watch, uh, accepted nearly $500,000 from a Saudi billionaire for Human Rights Watch with one condition, that the money not be used to improve the lives of gays and lesbians in the Middle East. Once this was exposed by The Intercept, uh, this um, transaction, uh, Human Rights Watch issued a formal apology and returned the money. So there is a track record here of Human Rights Watch um, running around with a, a pot in their hand, you know, asking for money, asking money from some of the world's worst uh, dictators in the Middle East. So why has that track record not uh, caused problems for them, significant problems? Why are they still considered a legitimate organization? 
That's a good question. They did take some black eyes. Uh, I the um, <clears throat> the the initial phase of their fundraising in Saudi Arabia in 2009. <clears throat> um, but again, when you have a donor like George Soros, who pumps 100 million into their coffers, it, it doesn't really um, damage them in any way that they're also, uh, you know, running to uh, state sponsors of terrorism, as uh, folks are now trying to, in Congress, trying to bring about for Qatar um, and, and ask uh, for donations. Um, I do think, though, they have taken some hits in, in terms of their credibility, especially among the uh, many of the conservative newspapers like the Wall Street Journal and I would probably the Telegraph and uh, newspapers along those lines who, who, who view the disconnect between human rights is uh, human rights watch is sort of um, very um, highfalutin rhetoric about um, human rights and their actual conduct and how they're uh, approaching uh, or trying to influence a change in the behavior of um, of governments in this world, especially regimes that are um, repressing um, uh, their citizens. Thank you, Bonnie, for the super chat. Um, so, uh, you know, yesterday I saw a tweet by uh, this channel's favorite anti-Israel propagandist, Owen Jones, saying that um, his uh, his Facebook posts are being censored because he's uh, pro-Palestinian. And Human Rights Watch actually did a report uh, a few weeks ago, I think, uh, saying that Meta is systematically censoring pro-Palestinian content. Now, I have to say the Ayn Rand Center UK uh, had a post removed and our account restricted because it was pro-Israel or, or because anti-Palestinian. And it's not the first time uh, we've had that. And now we have definitely different views uh, to, I think, many conservatives and, and certainly um, to Owen Jones and, uh, and Human Rights Watch as to do we have a right to the platform? I don't think we do. I think they have a right to remove whatever content they uh they want to remove but just seeing this as a report is is an interesting is an interesting thing because again it's not it it could be that they're deciding that they don't want war related content again pro israel content is being removed uh as well but so uh, have you seen that report and uh, and what do you think about uh, that that claim well i haven't seen the report i um i've just been um bouncing from stories here i was in uh in Gaza recently uh, reporting on, on the war on the ground. Um, but it, it doesn't surprise me in terms of what Human Rights Watch prioritizes. That is, the they're trying to amplify uh, pro-Palestinian, and, and I would probably, I could imagine, pro-Hamas voices. Um, I mean, the founder, or the, the, the name of your organization, Anne Rand, uh, it's interesting because I, I vividly remember when she spoke on, I think it was Phil Donahue, and talked about Israel. And she was obviously um, many years or uh, decades ahead of her time in terms of understanding um, the nature of the Middle East conflict and the barbarism that uh, Israel faced on October 7th. And there's that famous um, presentation by her that I think has generated a lot of uh, eyeballs on, on, uh, on YouTube, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was Phil Donahue. Um, yeah, I'm still here. I just wanted to bring up that quote since you uh, you yeah. mentioned it. 
uh yeah this was um actually I, i'm not sure this is the same uh the same one but uh one of her famous quotes is uh when she was asked in 1973 what uh what should the united states do about the arab israeli war uh and i'm not going to read the whole thing but she said she starts with give all help possible to israel and then later on uh further uh why are the arabs against israel and this is the main reason i support israel the arabs are one of the least developed country uh, cultures uh, they are still practically nomads. Their culture is primitive and they resent Israel because it's the sole beachhead of modern civilization, uh, science and civilization on their continent. When you have civilized men fighting savages, you support the civilized men no matter who they are. Uh, and it goes on. And yeah, this is, uh, by the way, this is the kind of uh, moral clarity that today is is probably categorized as, uh, as hate speech, um, certainly on some, some platforms. But uh, yeah um right she was she was you know i mean that's an accurate uh, characterization of 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 hamas and uh, she as a as a student of uh soviet marxism and someone who fled the totalitarian soviet state or or departed from it understood uh i think very well what type of uh adversaries israel has as early as you said 1973 mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, unfortunately, not much has changed, although the the way uh, again, the way it's it's reported uh, is, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's gotten worse, but it certainly hasn't gotten better. And uh, yeah, just one more point on this on this uh, specific issue that they have with Meta. You would think this this is an organization that supposedly looks at violations of rights, violators of rights. You know, the, the big ones are states. Uh, wherever wherever violations of, of rights happen they very often happen by states the idea that um all all the things that states and state-sponsored organizations such as hamas hezbollah and so on do uh you know takes a back seat when you have a social media platform you know deciding uh not to show certain um certain types of content and doing a whole report on it also i think yeah as you mentioned, raises the question of whether or not this organization actually is working towards uh, um, protecting people's rights, or is it working towards continuing to use Israel as a as a punching bag? Well, it's interesting too. Just in November, I believe the Israeli representative for Human Rights Watch resigned in uh, utter disgust about her name is Daniela Haas about uh, human rights is uh, Human Rights Watch's. Um, one, she said, you know, one dimensional uh, approach to the uh, Israel-Palestinian conflict and the fact that the organization is um, filled with biases against Israel. And she issued a long letter, um, which I mentioned one of my reports um, about the uh, the Raven Project and, and um, Human Rights Watch accepting money from Qatar. But again, it would be interesting why um, Qatar... Um, for example, why hasn't Human Rights Watch issued any reports about Qatari-owned, state-owned media and its uh, Holocaust denial, its incitement against uh, uh, Jews? Um, I'm talking about the Arabic language section that um, presents a different picture than the English language uh, reports. Um, but there's you know, hardly any uh, discussion about Qatar's um, policies over at Human Rights Watch, 
Um, so one wonders if there's a conflict of interest. And I also reported that the woman who had worked for a Qatari um, NGO, once she, uh, a, a French woman, I mentioned this in my I-24 report, went to work for Human Rights Watch, suddenly at around the same time as when Human Rights Watch allegedly received this donation from Qatar. Now, the timing might be pure coincidence. We'll never know. She she didn't answer any of my press queries, but certainly this raises a lot of questions. And I, what, what I find acutely frustrating is that one would think that um, some of the major news organizations that have, um, some t like the New York Times has a bottomless level of uh, resources, would uh, delve into this topic. Now, as I understand it, Qatar also owns or manages, uh, owns a, is part, has a, a business stake in a Canadian company that manages the New York Times new building in Manhattan. And then, and um, there's just a lot of Qatari money whirling around both in the United States and London. As we know, the uh, former Qatari foreign minister and, uh, and uh, prime minister who goes by the name HBJ, the acronym, excuse me, was known as the man who owns London um, because they own so many hotels and businesses. And, um, and that, that's a big problem that, when you're dealing with a, a state that has, you know, at its disposal $500 billion to just, you know, dole out, and it's a country of 300,000 citizens with about 2 million foreign workers, um, you can see how they can exert enormous influence. In fact, in the U.S., there's a, a Democratic senator who was just indicted for accepting bribes from Qatar, Senator Robert Menendez who's actually very good on, on issues involving totalitarianism in Cuba. But, um, you know, it looks like we'll see what happens in terms of his case. But there's a lot of Qatari money out there. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of Qatari money around here in London. Yeah, a big chunk of London is owned by Qatar. Not all of it. Uh, some of it is owned by Russia. The Ayn Rand Center UK is owned by neither. Uh, so thank you. Uh, thank you, Gail. And thank you, Stockfeeder, for your super chats. Uh, that is uh, one of the ways in which we're funded, that and uh, memberships. And um, uh, yeah, if you find this, this content valuable, uh, consider sharing it, liking it, commenting. It helps with the algorithm. And uh, Benjamin, uh, thank you for joining me. Where can people find more of your work? Um, my my articles are listed on uh, Fox News Digital, the website, and um, also the Jerusalem Post. And then um, all of my articles right now, current articles, are listed at the website of the Middle East Forum. It's a, a American-based think tank in Philadelphia, the Middle East Forum. And also I'm on Twitter at uh, Ben Weinthal. So thank you very much for having me on the show. It was a, a real pleasure and an honor. Thanks, Benjamin. Those links are uh, in the in the live chat. They will be in the description of the show as well. Uh, the reality show starts in a couple of minutes on this channel, so stay tuned. Um, thanks again, Benjamin. Thanks, everybody, for watching, and I will see you back here tomorrow on The Daily Objective.